Maha was born in Tunisia eight years ago. She was no more than three years old when her parents took her to Turkey, then to Islamic State territory. The father was killed before her fifth birthday. After that, Maha moved between hospitality areas. The Islamic State allocates a large house in every area they control to host women from foreign countries, usually widows of ISIS combatants killed in action, and unwed women. Maha eventually ended up in a Roj camp. She has never known kindergartens or schoolyards. She can't write or even articulate a single sentence in classical Arabic. Her knowledge of French and English is limited to some numbers and letters. Her mother received a college education, but her daughter can barely spell out letters during the few lessons her mother secretly gives her inside the tent. This tent has been Maha's world since she and her family were detained. It's the home, the school, the playground, and the small cell inside a camp that feels more like a large, open-air prison. She may still have some distant memories of her birthplace, but her younger brothers, both born in Syria, only have their mother's tales about Tunisia to paint a picture of their motherland. Even though it seems like a faraway memory, an almost imaginary place, the three children only speak of how much they miss it and want to go back home. This five-month investigation follows the lives of Maha and other Tunisian children and their mothers inside the camps housing ISIS combatant families in northeastern Syria. The investigation sheds light on the suffering of these children, how they are deprived of an education and all other basic rights. It also looks into Tunisian authorities' failure to return them home, in clear violation of international law and the Tunisian constitution, as well as their shortcomings in providing the necessary support for those who managed to return, and failure to successfully reintegrate them into society. There are over 100 Tunisian children and their mothers among the 14,000 non-Iraqi foreigners in northeastern Syria. The Syrian Democratic Forces detained the families of Syrian and foreign suspected ISIS combatants in temporary camps, the largest of which is Al-Hol Camp in Al-Haska Governorate. On a broader scale, around 200 children and 100 women claiming to be Tunisian are detained inside Tunisia without charges other than being family members of ISIS combatants. Most of them are in Syria and, to a lesser extent, Iraq. Since announcing the defeat of the Islamic State in March 2019, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, also known as Rojava, has been asking the concerned countries to either take back their detained citizens or form an international court to put the jihadis on trial. But a lot of countries are reluctant to take their citizens back. Tunisia is also hesitant to return stranded children of ISIS members. Most of the younger children were either born in ISIS-controlled territories or brought there with their parents at a very young age. It is dawn in northeastern Syria. There are no roosters crowing here to declare the arrival of a new morning, but Mufida has a fixed time for putting the dough on the fire. As with every day, she moves gently, trying not to disturb the sleep of her children while preparing the dough and baking the bread. Like the rest of the camps, Aroj has been close to visitors until further notice. Mufida and the rest of the women and children have no idea where their destiny might take them. She tells us stories of worn-out tents becoming playthings for the wind, falling apart or flooded by the winter and sewage water. About faraway toilets that constantly flood. She speaks of wild dogs that scare her little children, about drinking water that is either never enough or polluted.
She tells us about the garbage everywhere and the disease. Nothing inspires hope here, but Mufida and thousands of others are still determined to live in these overcrowded camps on the hope that they might return home one day. Because she's motivated by hope, Mufida chases the daybreak every day. She starts making bread to sell later in the market, $2 a day that she hopes can sustain her children, keep them alive in anticipation of good news. Three years have passed since Mufida and her children arrived at the Roj camp. She and other foreign women and their children have been detained without charge or tried. In the camps, there is no such thing as rights for children. They grow up without any protection, care, or education. Those born in Syria are denied its citizenship. Letta Taylor, a senior researcher at Human Rights Watch, who specializes in terrorism and counterterrorism, tells us in an interview that this sort of open-ended detention without charge is a form of collective punishment prohibited by international law. She asserts that children should not be punished for their parents' crimes, and evil children who committed crimes under the Islamic State should only be detained as an exceptional last resort measure. According to international law, countries have to assure that stateless children receive a citizenship at the soonest, including those living abroad. They must be provided with rehabilitation and reintegration services, none of which are available at these camps. Even if they were, reintegration is naturally impossible in desert camps, thousands of kilometers from children's homes. The Observatory of Rights and Freedoms of Tunisia started a national campaign many years back under the slogan of It's My Right to Return. The director, Marwan Jeddah, says the organization demands that the rescue of the children trapped in the camps be expediated, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has meant that international organizations no longer visit to monitor camp conditions. Naturally, infractions by camp administration towards children such as torture, abuse, and possibly sexual harassment have increased. Jeddah says danger lurks around every corner for these children, whether inside or outside camps. Those who enter it are lost, and those who exit it are given a second life. This expression completely suits the whole camp. We all know the difficulties and dangers of entering this camp. Many of the extremist elements detained there have adopted the same lifestyle as under ISIS rule. This in spite of the presence of Al-Asayish, the Kurdish security organization that guards the camp and constant monitoring by the Syrian development forces. Across border smuggling network and violent incidents are attributed to women who have formed an Islamic police force, Al-Hizbah, inside the camp. They monitor what other women wear and how they behave in their daily lives to see if they are following ISIS doctrine. In the extremist section of Al-Hal camp, where the Islamic police women prevail, you can hear ISIS terms like killing, beheading, decapitation, infidels, invasion, revenge, and of course, Khalifa or Islamic rule. Many Tunisian women have been subjected to violence and intimidation at their hands, and some have even had their tents burned to the ground for criticizing ISIS. There are an estimated 57 Tunisian children at Adhol. After a long wait, we managed to obtain approval to enter the camp and meet them and their mothers. On the day of our visit, we find out to our surprise that we were banned from entering the X1 zone, where most of the Tunisian women's tents are located. We only managed to meet two Tunisian women, brought to the office by camp administration. One refused to be interviewed on record, and the other sat in front of the camera, holding her little daughter. From behind her niqab, Maru spoke about her desire to return to Tunisia, 
to give her children a better future. It was an interview with a mother who is herself a child. She's still under 18. Her daughter staring at the camera with wide black eyes has never received a day of education in her life. Kids love to learn, but who will teach them? Marwa wonders out loud, her accent now mostly that of East rather than North Africa. Tunisian children do not fare any better in a Roj than a whole camp when it comes to education. The only school that gave them lessons has long since closed. Mufida's children only have some books and stories brought by one of the relief organizations that used to visit the camp before the pandemic. Mufida tries to fill the gap by teaching her children in secret inside the tent. Simple things like numbers and letters in English and French. She's always afraid of the camp administration finding out. She says any mother discovered teaching her children alone faces punishment, including prison time. Mufida and other non-extremist mothers face immense challenges to keep their children from being influenced by the extreme ISIS ideology in the camps. The lack of education and the delay in returning them to their countries make matters progressively worse, driving children towards extremist doctrine. The biggest fear is that if the international community fails to reach a way to rehabilitate the children and reintegrate them into society, they will become the next generation of ISIS. Marawan Jidda says that most of parents of these children are college-educated, yet still chose the path of extremism, terrorism, and crime. He wonders about the future of children who never receive any education to begin with. He tells us a story about a Tunisian grandmother who visited her grandson in one of the detention centers in Libya. The grandmother gave a piece of cake to the child, and to her shock, he started eating it without removing the plastic wrapping. He had never seen a piece of cake in his life before. Referring to the tents, Jeddah says, There are children who dream of seeing a wall, for they have never seen nothing but plastic in their lives. In early 2019, Human Rights Watch accused Tunisian officials of dragging their feet on helping bring home Tunisian children held without charge in foreign camps and prisoners for families of ISIS members. More than a year later, Leda Taylor of Human Rights Watch Terrorism confirms that this charge still applies. Replying to Human Rights Watch, the Tunisian Ministry of Foreign Affairs said, Tunisia gives special consideration to the cases of detained children, in line with its unwavering belief in human rights. The government will not refuse to take back detainees with proven citizenships. The stranded children are not the only ones suffering because of how poorly the Tunisian authorities handle their cases. There are those who already returned but are forgotten or unknown by the relevant departments. Naila Fiki, vice president of the National Counterterrorism Commission of Tunisia, an anti-terrorism and money laundering commission established in 2015, tells Insane Platform that the commission has prepared programs to rehabilitate children born in war zones and returned to Tunisia, focusing primarily on the education of those who will stay in prisons or social integration centers. According to FEI, the primary goals of the reintegration program are to deconstruct extremist ideology and to rehabilitate them into normal children. She also says UNESCO is giving Tunisia access to experts and pedagogical methodology studies to help reintegrate the children into Tunisian society, as well as make them welcome in educational spaces. She emphasizes that Tunisia is developing the capacities of these children and deconstructing the ideas that can drive them into extremism and violence. Our request for a copy of the rehabilitation program was denied. Even though the commission confirms its existence, 
the stories of returnees and their children tell a different reality. We lost contact with Mufida. One of the Tunisian mothers tells us she was investigated by camp administration after they discovered she had a phone. Her four children still lack any education or basic rights. Their relatives in Tunisia hope to hold them one day, to watch them grow, away from ISIS influence and ideology, and the danger of the pandemic, and to help them recover from the way their country has failed them. Remember Maha, the eight-year-old from the beginning of the story? Under the dripping tent, Maha still can't read or write, and still dreams of seeing a wall. This story was produced by Amal Meki for Candid Academy.